0: V.C.Y. America presents Crosstalk, a nationwide call-in program discussing issues that have an effect on our families, our communities, our churches, our nation, and our world. Crosstalk, an opportunity for you to voice your concerns for biblical principles. And now live by satellite and around the world on the internet at vcyamerica.org. Here is today's Crosstalk. And good afternoon. Welcome to Crosstalk here on V.C.Y. America. Ladies and gentlemen, on many occasions individuals will do something as a means to remember or keep track of a significant event in their lives so that every time they see it, it's going to be a reminder to them. Uh, Perhaps it's been a spiritual decision or perhaps some significant event that's occurred. I mean, we see the children of Israel who gathered stones as they crossed the Jordan and uh, built a monument so that future generations would ask, when they asked that question, what meaneth these stones? Uh, They could recall how God led them through and, and provided for them. You know, as a nation, we also put up monuments not to worship, but to remember, to remember individuals or events that have impacted our nation in a significant way. And yet it's these statues and monuments that are under attack. Why is this happening? Thank you for joining us here today on Crosstalk. It's our privilege to have in studio with us Dr. Tim Schmig, Executive Director of the Michigan Association of Christian Schools and Director of Stories and Stones, author of Stories and Stones, Our Heritage of Evidence, and also has led some of our VCY ministry trips. Uh, Tim, good to have you here in studio. Thank you so much, Jim. It's a blessing to be with you today. Yeah, And Tim, as you know, there's uh, just really been a a deliberate attempt, uh, an attack really, going on to rid us of any remembrance of our the founding of our nation uh, and our our history. Why do you see, you know, why do you surmise there is such a concerted effort in this regard?
1: Well, I think part of it is this. Today, they look back through the lens of their own personal experiences and they judge our founders based on what we call presentism. And they weigh the actions and the uh, productivity of our founding fathers and those who have gone on before us based on what they feel is right today which is very unfortunate because the reality of it is you know all of us are flawed all of us have uh, contradictions in our lives all of us have made mistakes in our lives and we don't need to have those illuminated and expounded to the point where uh, they get torn down our, real realistically our founding fathers are not perfect and none of us are perfect the one the present-day protestants tearing down the monuments They're not perfect. And yet, if you look at our country through the lens of idealism, we will be weighed in the balances and found wanting. But if you look at our country's history, based on the times that they lived in, uh, they gave us some pretty amazing things. They have,
0: and there are many, as you know, (laughs) who try to argue that that we are a secular nation. Mm -hmm. And the question, though, is if if that is the case, then, then why are there... So many spiritual themes that we see in, in monuments, especially in our nation's capital.
1: <clears throat> yes. And they they put that up as a testament to the providential plan and the providential protection that they had. Uh, you take to our, our very first uh, founding document, the Mayflower Compact. It starts out, in the name of God, amen. It's a document that starts out with a prayer. And then it says, undertaken for the advancement of the Christian faith. And then we undersigned, assign our names to it. And it's interesting that when you take a look at our founding documents, the Mayflower Compact, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, our state charters, all of them are being signed by the people that are there at the time. And one of the reasons that they're signing it is because the worldview that they had, they believe they were making a vertical covenant with God, a horizontal covenant with each other, hold me accountable for what we're doing. It's very clearly an evidence that they are accountable to God. And they wanted uh, fidelity to the past, to to honor those who have gone on before them, that got them here, and then also faithfulness going forward for future generations to look and say, these men signed away their lives, their fortunes, their sacred Mm -hmm. honor, so that we could have this birth certificate to the greatest, freest country this world has ever seen, and we are supposed to be custodians of that heritage. It was called the grand experiment. It was, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And
0: yet we are seeing, even with our flaws uh, of the past uh, and our flaws present, that, that there is no other country that can rival the United States as far as these documents.
1: No, and, and you take a look. If you and I went to any junior college campus or any college campus in America, uh, and we were to say, can you name three founding fathers? Typically, if they can name three, they'll name Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, George Washington. And then if you ask a follow-up question, what do you know about either one of them? Second thing they'll say is they own slaves. Mm -hmm. Um, And so is there anything else about the life of Thomas Jefferson that would merit consideration, uh, would merit study, would merit uh, contemplating the things that he did and why he did it? And... You, if, if you take a look at the volume of our founding fathers from 1770 to 1805, there's probably 300 and f- or 250 major characters. And today we know two or three of them. There's a wealth of people. And, and all of our founding fathers were recipients of common grace. And by that I mean uh, the rain fell on the just and the unjust alike. They realized for the most part that there was a divine being and they would have to one day give an account to that divine being. And in their public proclamations as officials of their either colonial charters or state governments, they were, I can't say, I can't say that they had a biblical worldview, but they at least honored biblical principles in the things that they did.
0: Dr. Tim Schmigger, guest here today on Crosstalk. Let's talk about some of these monuments that have come under attack. Uh, The New York Post reported just a couple months ago a story about the New York City Council. Uh, They said they're advancing a bid that could yank monuments honoring Washington, Jefferson, and Columbus. So, Let's begin talking about some of these because we have a very distorted presentation of these individuals today. Let's begin with Washington. What, what should we be knowing about George Washington?
1: Well, a man of character. Uh, when Ronald Reagan uh, gave his first inaugural address in 1981, he said directly in front of me, a monument to a monumental man, George Washington, father of our country. He led our nation out of revolutionary war into infant nationhood. Uh, he set the standard for what a president should be. Uh, He was a man of character in that uh, he paid chaplains the exact same amount of money that he would pay a captain in the military. He thought that his his soldiers should be uh, attending divine services. He had a standard for himself, that um, uh, a series of principles that he wanted to live by, rules for civility. And so uh, judging by the standards of the day, he was a man of character. And yet, so many
0: people have insisted, and you referred to this earlier, that uh, he was a slaveholder. As such, there should not be a monument uh, remembering him or any slaveholder.
1: How do you respond to that? Okay, so first of all, uh, slavery was not an American invention. Uh, We we inherited it from the British, which is what we were at the time. Uh, Paul Revere never went through the countryside and said the British are coming because we were all British. He would have said the Redcoats are coming the king's regulars are coming, the king's ministers' own are coming. He would not have said the British are coming. Uh, We inherited a couple of really bad concepts from the British as colonists. Uh, Their lousy roads, we inherited that from them. Their very poor agricultural systems, we inherited that from them. Their caste system in colonial America, there was the very rich and the very poor. We inherited that from them. And yes, slavery was a part of the American culture. The fact that they own slaves, uh, many of time many times the slave owner would give them manumission or freedom upon the death of the slaveholder, uh, except in the state of Virginia, it was very difficult to free a slave if you were indebted, because the people you owed the money to got the slave as payment of your debt. So to just let them go, there were laws against that. And so we look at it and we just say, okay, it was a very unfortunate thing, um, you know, we certainly don't condone that, but we say that was typical of the times, and we were not the only country that had sl- that had slavery. Mm-hmm. And today, slavery is still worldwide. I mean, I'm not sure exactly what the statistics statistics are, but I think they've said there's close to 25 million people enslaved today. It's also
0: very interesting that those who enslaved those known as slaves were of the same
1: skin color. Exactly, mm-hmm. that's how we got them from Africa from from the the slave traders there mm-hmm. and most of the slaves didn't end up in america they ended up uh in uh, the the islands south of us in that they were on the plantations the sugar plantations and other things we had a few of them i mean, I mean proportionately fewer than the others the caribbean islands did
0: you mentioned george washington being a man of character
1: there are those who really wanted to make him king they did and he turned it aside mm-hmm. and then when you take a look at, at the life of George Washington, immediately after he died, there was a reverence for him. As a matter of fact, you could get a Washington Bible. Uh, the, the salesman that would go a city to city, they would put a, an imprint of a caricature of George Washington in the front, and they would sell the George Washington Bible. Hmm. Then, a period after that, you go into the debunking period, which is the Parson Weems period of the stories that are probably myth, or at least some mythology to them. And then you have to get up into the, you know, the the total debunking of, well, he swore, you know, he did this, he did all of this and everything. And it's like, okay, we understand all of us are flawed, all of us have contradictions, and yet we take a look at the good that he did for this country, and I think that needs to be celebrated. Let's take a look at another
0: individual whose statues and memorials uh, have been t- under attack, and that is Thomas
1: Jefferson. Yes, well... Jefferson, uh, one author called him the American Sphinx, in that you can look at Thomas Jefferson's writing at any period in his life and see a number of things totally contradictory uh, in his life. Uh, Brilliant statesman. Uh, He writes his notes on the state of Virginia, and he he travels Virginia, makes observations, uh, has things that are said about that. He starts the University of Virginia. He's one of the authors of the Declaration of Independence. It's interesting when you look at his obelisk uh, at Monticello, he does not list being president of the United States. Mm. Uh, he writes the uh, Virginia Declaration of Rights, religious freedom, and all of these things that he does, and yet he is a slaveholder. And, and he's also a very poor money manager. He dies uh, deeply in debt. And one of the ways that he gets out of debt is he sells his extensive library to the Library of Congress. Uh, when we took the VCY tour and we took, toured the Library of Congress, I had folks go in and look at the Jefferson Library. And to me, it's just amazing that you can look at books in this room that Thomas Jefferson would have held wow. or possessed or look, or, or, mm-hmm. or read from. So, yes, a man of tremendous contradictions. And then you also have to look at Jefferson's life um, on a timeline. Because when he is the governor of Virginia, when he is at the uh, Second Continental Congress writing the Declaration of Independence, uh, he has a respect for spiritual things. Later in his life, when he's trying to start the University of Virginia, and he wants to hire a professor by the name of Cooper, and Cooper is an infidel, a non-believer, and the pastors from the Valley area, Charlottesville, say, if you hire Cooper, we will not be sending any of our students to you. Well, at that point, he's older in life, Uh, he has no public position as far as government position, and uh, he writes some pretty vehement things against um, clergy, against the deity. And so you look at it, when did he say this in his life? It, It was not indicative of all of his public statements early in his life.
0: Dr. Tim Schmig with us here today on Crosstalk uh, from, uh, well, directs Stories in Stone, but also is Executive Director of the uh, Michigan Association of uh, Christian Schools and uh, has authored Stories in Stones, Our Heritage uh, of Evidence. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just one minute here on Crosstalk on the VCY American Network as we talk about the topic today, What Meaneth These Stones? And we're going to look further here today uh, at other stones that have been under attack today, that of Christopher Columbus, that of Abraham Lincoln, and and, uh, some other uh, information as well that we trust you'll find uh, quite fascinating as we see this attack taking place across our nation. You're listening to Crosstalk on VCY America, back in one minute.
2: Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, author and seminar speaker with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, since in the Garden of Eden, people were eating plants, and certainly insects died there, can we say that there was no death before sin?
3: Chris, creationists, insist on the biblical doctrine that the wages of sin is death, and that Adam's rebellion brought death into a once very good creation which had no death. In doing so, we must be careful to use the right terms. Certainly Adam and Eve were commanded to eat fruit in the garden. and This implies plant death. It would also be difficult for Adam to avoid stepping on an ant as he walked around. But is this death? The Bible never uses the term living for plants or insects. It teaches that life is in the blood and speaks of the breath of life. Thus, only air-breathing, blood-filled animals lived or died. Chris, there was no true death before sin. Let's go back to Genesis for our perspective on
2: these things. Thanks for joining us for Back to Genesis.
0: This is Crosstalk coming your way from the VCY American Network. Dr. Tim Schmig is with us today, Executive Director of Michigan Association of Christian Schools, Director of Stories and Stones and author of Stories and Stones, Our Heritage of Evidence. Uh, Friends, we're talking about this attack that we have seen um, more recently and in recent years against the monuments, against the statues of our nation. Uh, We're talking about uh, some in particular that have been targeted, George Washington. Uh, We have schools that are even changing names from some of these individuals. Another we were just talking about was Thomas Jefferson. And before we move on to someone else, uh, Tim, I'd like to ask you about Thomas Jefferson in particular because, there are many who will hold him up and say, well, he is the one that that promoted and came up with the idea of separation of church and state, and therefore we should not have the church engaging in the affairs of the state.
1: Well, in 1801, when the New England pastor Leland rolled a 2,000-pound cheese to Thomas Jefferson, guaranteeing Jefferson that the cheese was milked from Republican cows out in the New England area, he brought this massive cheese to the white house and gave it to thomas jefferson the executive mansion at the time that very same day thomas jefferson answers a letter from the danbury baptists a group of baptist churches in western connecticut and in that uh, they're asking the question will president jefferson like his predecessors give days declare days of fasting and prayer and in that jefferson makes a statement that there's a wall of separation between church and state and what Jefferson's concept of the wall of separation, I think, has been most clearly defined by Dr. Dan Dreisbach from American University, where Jefferson's concept of the wall would be between the federal and the state government. He had no problems with state governments promoting days of fasting and prayer. And the whole idea of that letter, the Danbury Baptist letter, it lies dormant until the mid-1800s, when one of the Supreme Court justices remembers that his law professor, mentioned that letter. So he wrote, or he contacted the Library of Congress and said, we need a copy of that letter. I'd like to see it as we are um, adjudicating this case. And so we don't have Xerox machines back then. So the clerk copies Jefferson's letter word for word, almost. Jefferson says that this is the legitimate power of government declaring days of, of fasting and prayer. And the clerk miss translates the word, and he says this is the legislative power of mm. government. Mm. And all of a sudden, that misstatement in the letter, it enters the American lexicon. And so that about 1860, uh, 70 uh, you get that in the one Supreme Court case, mentioned a few more times, and then you come to the Everson v. Board of Education uh, uh, Supreme Court case, where uh, the whole idea is, can a public school bus be used to transport children to a private parochial school. Justice Hugo Black, the Ku Klux Klansman, uh, is the one who writes in the Everson case that there is a wall of separation which must must be held high and impregnable. So since then, Jefferson has been quoted, as far as the author of Separation of Church and State, uh, multiple times every single year. And even during Jefferson's lifetime, they tried to credit him with the First Amendment, he says, no, I didn't do that. I was an ambassador to France when they were debating that. So
0: therefore, the, it's very much a misnomer as far as this well of separation.
1: Oh Yes, it is. And it's unfortunate, but other things like that have happened in history where uh, miscommunication, mm-hmm. uh, wrong identification. It's like, OK, this is our present reality. We, we deal with it even though there's no way we can unring that bell. Uh,
0: Tim, let's talk about another one of these monuments. And I know we could spend a whole program on each one of these characters here. But uh, let's talk about Christopher Columbus for a bit. Oh. Uh, we are trying to erase him, t- Columbus statues com- coming down. Um, and, and also, uh, I mean, even looking at the calendar, there are many who have uh, n- no longer allowed for Columbus Day, but we have to have indigenous
1: people's, people's day. day. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And in Washington, D.C., right side, outside of Union Station, and they have the Christopher Columbus Monument. It had a fountain to it that hasn't been uh, working in years. Uh, in, I think, 1992, somebody um, put red paint all over the, the monument. And to me, that's, that's a modern phenomenon in the last 100 years, because in 1892, the equivalent of the National Education Association printed a new testament in honor of Christopher Columbus. Hmm. So for the first 300 years we venerate the man and we and we are thankful for and I love it discovering a new world, all right? And you know, he, he you take a look and obviously he's another one of those who should have known better. Mm-hmm. And so we look at through the lens of today, look back and they should have done something different and they didn't. What what the modern-day Protestants do about our history is, first of all, they criticize it. They should have known better. Then they try to correct it. Well, he could have done this, but he didn't. And then they condemn it, and part of the condemnation is tearing down the statues, uh, taking names off schools, uh, removing murals from government offices, and these types of things. Because they they must think that if it's out of sight, out of mind. But the reality of it is, We've been given this as um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, history is given to us, number one, as an example. We learn something good from them, but also the word ensample means scar or mark. And if we get a scar on us because we didn't do things well or we did something stupid, uh, we look at that scar and we think, oh yeah, we don't need to do that again. Right. And so sometimes the negative lesson is just as powerful as the, po- as the positive lesson.
0: Let's talk about somebody else, and that is Abraham Lincoln. Yes. And, and, uh, you know, we talked about slavery, and and many would say, you know, Abraham freed the slaves. How could it be that that he is being targeted in all of this? And yet, uh, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation came under him, and yet one of the the, the monuments known as the the Emancipation Statue has become under attack as well.
1: Well, there you go again, because I don't think they thoroughly— understand what they're doing when they tear down the monuments they see a monument it needs to be torn down because it's a monument even to the point of total insanity that out in seattle they they wanted to tear down the monument to Jimi hendrix who is the patron saint of rebellion why would they tear down that monument when we go to washington dc and we stand at ford's theater we turn across the street and we look at peterson house and there's a museum to Abraham lincoln there there is a four-story circular staircase And the staircase is um, surrounding books about Abraham Lincoln. There are more books written about Abraham Lincoln than any other president, uh, the rest of the presidents combined, probably. And to study the life of Abraham Lincoln, number one, he kept the nation, he kept the union together. He did what he had to do. Uh, He was a a man who, for his time, was very wise, uh, very uh, eloquent in the things that he did. You go to the Lincoln Memorial, you take a look at his second inaugural address off to the left-hand side. It is the most theological statement in American history. It, it's, it's just replete with Bible references, prayers, um, uh, requests that as we, as we go into a national healing after the Civil War, that there would be uh, kindness shown to the widow and to the orphan with charity towards, with malice towards none, with charity for all. And for whatever reason, you know he didn't do enough. well, he did everything that he could. and as a matter of fact, when you take a look at the, um, the American experience, the men who signed the Constitution of the United States, they were slave holders, the southern states, not a few in the middle states, very few in the northern uh, states. but in order to get this country after the Revolutionary War, they had to have a compromise. And the compromise was we we're gradually going to phase out slavery. It doesn't work. And then we have the great civil war. We're the only nation that's fought a civil war to eliminate slavery.
0: It's very interesting indeed. And when you consider the proclamation that he did, uh, day of prayer of fasting, yes. reconciliation yes. and so forth, uh, he talked about all the, the, the wonderful blessings that we had as a nation, but, but we have forgotten, forgotten God. God. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: And, and he understood, you know, that, that basically, um, He believed, I think, in the providential view of history, that ultimately there is a divine providence over everything. Man is responsible for his Mm -hmm. actions. Man is responsible for the things. And one of the things that he talks about in his second inaugural address is that God punishes national sins. And this national sin of slavery, the punishment for it, has been the civil war that has killed almost 750,000 people. Almost every family, north and south, was touched by the civil war
0: yeah dr tim schmig with us here today on crosstalk and our topic today what meaneth these stones and talking about this and tim i'd like to i know there are so many more monuments and statues and individuals we could talk about but i'd like to approach this from another aspect and that is when i looked and and as i was preparing for today's program all of a sudden some of these communist goals start mm-hmm. coming through my mind here's goal number thirty uh, from the communist goals, discredit the American founding fathers, present them as selfish aristocrats who had no concern
1: for the common man mm-hmm. we 're seeing that fulfilled all right, well, think about it um, today the the hymn of, of today 's Protestants is in Mao We trust, and they have how great Mao art, and they look at the communist model and they totally ignore the fifty three the twenty million people that were killed in these communist regimes and they look at this and they use it to denigrate it. Uh, Eldridge Cleaver uh, and others would say that, um, basically the history of the United States, a uh, quote from Eldridge Cleaver said that the government of America was a government of the pigs, by the pigs, mm. and for the pigs. Mm. And then uh, they talked about the fact that we need to destroy the past, condemn the, fe- condemn the present, and rewrite the future, which is exactly what um, Communist China did with, with their plans and with their cultural revolution, they destroyed the past so that if, if we can destroy it, it didn't happen.
0: Well, so, friends, I want you to understand, one of the communist goals is for a discrediting of the founding fathers. And yes. that, that is part of the goal. Here's another one. Goal number 22 says, continue discrediting American culture by degrading all forms of artistic expression. Eliminate all good sculpture from parks and buildings. Substitute shapeless, awkward, and meaningless forms.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and I get that. And yet what they... Ne- when they tear down the Thomas Jefferson statue, when they remove it out of the city hall of New York or where it was, I don't think they're tearing down Jefferson, the man, but they're tearing down Jefferson, the ideas that he was able to plant in seed form in our country. Things like freedom of speech, trial by jury, scientific inquiry, individual liberty, the rule of law. Hmm. Uh, He would have uh, very much assented to, if you want good laws, follow the 10 commandments. And so, are they tearing down the statue of the slaveholder or the ideas that he put in seed form in this country, which has basically given us the greatest, freest country in the world for the last you know, 250 years? It's
0: because those stones remind us of those ideals.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're a testament. And when Israel went into the Promised Land, when they were to create the monument, it was a national monument with a spiritual heritage. What meaning by these stones? Well, there was a day that the Jordan River was three times its normal width at flood stage. God miraculously dried that up and brought us here. And so we look at the monuments to some of the giants on whose shoulders we stand. We cannot criticize them for not being able to see as far as they could. We we shouldn't criticize them for decisions that, that we know today they shouldn't have done. Mm-hmm. You know, just like I, I think it's humorous. Uh, All of us have done this, but we look back to our high school graduation pictures and we think, what was I thinking when I bought that suit? You know, all of us have regrets.
0: (laughs) Fifth quarter quarterback. Exactly. Monday morning quarter. That's it. Right. And uh, we see that uh, being played before us. Friends, uh, a quick break is coming before us here and uh, just a little bit more discussion, but we'll also be providing you opportunity to call in on the program as well. So certainly be formulating your questions, your brief comments for us here today. Dr. Tim Schmig is with us and uh, asking that question, what mean at these stones looking at some of the attacks that are taking place But what is the motive behind this as well? And we are seeing the communist goals are very much at play in destroying our nation's heritage. We'll be back in one minute. You're listening to Crosstalk on the VCY American Network.
2: High in the Swiss Alps, Lucian, a lonely, frightened 13-year-old, is overtaken by catastrophic events as he causes little Danny to fall off of a cliff. Danny! Lucian finds himself an outcast with his family, his school friends, and especially the very hostile Annette, the sister of Danny.
1: Danny, I've told you not to talk to Lucian. He'll only hurt you again.
2: Bitterness and anger set in. As Lucian finds solitude in the nearby woods, He comes across a woodcarver who helps him find the peace he was looking for, but not only changes his life, but that of others' as well.
1: You may be able to run away from the village, but you can't run away from yourself.
2: Treasures of the Snow quickly captures the heart. It's a story of friendship, forgiveness, and redemption. Treasures of the Snow is available on DVD for a donation of $16 or more by calling VCY America at 1-800-729-9829. That's 1-800-729-9829.
0: The program is called crosstalk and it comes your way here from the Vcy American network with us today dr. Tim Schmig as we ask the question of what meaneth these stones as we see the the heritage of our nation under attack in so many different ways uh, we see it you know manifest through the taking down of monuments murals paintings uh, anything that having to do with these uh, yet you know it's amazing when one goes to the US Supreme Court building how many places in that building are engraved the Ten Commandments and most moses mm-hmm. uh, tim that, that there there's great significance that that the founders had etched into these buildings that is
1: our heritage it's our heritage and it's not just uh it, there's solomon that's there there's moses mm-hmm. that's there mm-hmm. On the eastern side of the Supreme Court building at the pediment, there's Moses holding the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. As you walk into the great chamber, you will see an oak panel door there, and it's got Roman numerals 1 through through 5 on one side, 6 through 10 on the other side, which if you Google it, go to that fount of all knowledge, Google, and it will say that is the icon for the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. Not the Bill of Rights. Not the Bill of
0: Rights, no. Um, Tim, we know that the education system is being used to accomplish these communist goals and to accomplish this upheaval that's going on. Listen to goal number 17. Get control of the schools. Use them as transmission belts for socialism and current communist propaganda. Soften the curriculum. Get control of teachers' associations. Put the party line in textbooks.
1: Do you think that's happening today? I would say that uh, for any parent out there, for any grandparent, I firmly believe that the last best hope for patriotism in America, for love of country, for instilling character in young people, is either homeschooling or put your child in a Christian school. And the reason for that is people put their children in a Christian school for the things they can't get from the government schools. And it would be character and Bible study and then also a prayer and teaching young people that there is a responsibility. I've often been asked, uh, working with the Michigan Association of Christian Schools, how do our students do in the real world? Because if you compare the government schools, Caesars Palaces, to our schools, there's no comparison by gymnasium, science lab, computer lab, and yet our graduates get accepted in the military academies, all the places that that they want to go. Uh, They do a commendable job. And the reality of it is, we haven't seen the real world east of Eden. We live in a fallen world right now, a world that has set its back to the Lord, and not turned its face to the Lord. And so we work with fallen people and try as best as we can to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And I, I do believe it is God honoring to honor the things that the Lord has given us. And Isaiah chapter six, the, the, the mm-hmm. seraphim who shout day and night, the whole earth is full of his glory. Yeah. We need to see his glory and the Lord in our history and celebrate those things and make sure that they're passed on to the next generation. Ronald Reagan said we are one generation from destruction.
0: Wow, well, that's sobering, folks. Let's open our phone lines here today and Crosstalk, our number 800-733-9829-1800. Seven three three nine eight two nine. Our guest today, Dr. Tim Schmig, and uh, we're talking what meaneth these stones and uh, perhaps you have noticed matters going on in your own community uh, or certainly our, our nation's capital as it relates to the attack that we've seen upon uh, remembering the heritage of our nation. Uh, whether it be that of statutes uh, or morals, I should say statutes as well, uh, because that is very much the case, or number eight hundred seven three three nine eight two nine. Tim, aside from, from the school aspect that you just mentioned, how should believers respond in such a time as this?
1: Well, I think that we need to speak up. We need to have a voice. Um, I would say responding either by calling into programs like this, writing a letter to the editor, showing up at school board meetings, but letting their voice be heard, maybe writing to their elected officials, or better still, when their elected official is back in the district and they have you know, coffee with the congressman or whatever, talk to them about these things. Let them know that you are concerned because there, there's a concerted movement to have these monuments destroyed, to, to um, have an educational system that promotes indoctrination rather than education and speak up to our elected officials. And if your elected official... Uh, is not um, satisfying to you, run for office yourself. Mm-hmm. And there's n- nothing that says you can't run for office. And, and always remember, we pray for our elected officials. You know, the Bible tells us, I beseech therefore that first of all, prayers, supplications, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for kings, for all that are in authority. Pray that the Lord will change their heart. And if he doesn't change their heart, pray he changes their occupation.
0: And uh, I, I know this is uh, vitally important, Tim, as we consider even the movement that we've seen where schools have gone very rogue, woke mm-hmm. in, in the materials woke. that they o- that they offer. And, and there are a number of believers today in various school districts who said, I am going to make a difference. I'm going to run for office and we need more individuals who are going to run for office, whether it be city council members, county board supervisors. Uh, state legislators and certainly congressmen and U.S. senators as well.
1: Oh, absolutely! We're supposed to be salt and light, mm-hmm. and salt in the salt shaker doesn't do much good. It's yeah. got to be applied into the, you know, into the society, into the community.
0: Let's go to the phone lines. We have uh, Dick calling from Washington. Hi, Dick. You're on the air.
3: Thank you, Jim. Uh, a little addition of information about Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson authored the. Northwest Ordinance, which is north of the Ohio River to the Great Lakes, west to the Mississippi, and in that document, written, I think it was 1787, he banned slavery and involuntary servitude.
1: Tim, your response? No, and we knew that as we progressed westward, I mean, once we got over the Appalachians and we realized how much land there was, and that was one of the things that Jefferson did with the Lewis and Clark Expedition. How much land do we have, and can you find a waterway to the Pacific Ocean? Once we realized how much land there was, then you've got the great debate. Congress is divided almost equally between slave-holding states and free states, and what's the representation going to be? That's where you come up in um, the three-fifths principle, and then also you've got the Missouri Compromise. As far as states going westward, are they going to be slave states or free states? But that is a good point. Uh, The other thing with the Northwest Ordinance is uh, he instituted uh, education in each community that was there. And then also another thing that I think is pretty interesting, if you travel very much in in the east, um, the roads there can be as complex as any math problem you've ever seen. But it was said that in the Northwest Ordinance, roads would run north, south, east, west, except by the lay of the river or the lay of the land. Hmm,
0: very interesting. Thank you, Dick, for the, for the issue here today. Thank you. Let's go to Jeff next in uh, Garland, Texas. Jeff, you're on the air.
3: Good afternoon. I was just calling to ask uh, why your guest keeps referring to these people who are wanting to remove all this stuff from our history. Why does he keep referring to them as
1: Protestants? Because they are and, okay, they're protesting. They pro, they're the protesters.
3: Okay, so it's not Protestant. Not, not Protestant, by
1: not not by denomination, but they're protesting something that they really don't know the principle that they're protesting from. I guess I should have cleared that or, clarified that earlier.
3: One other thing, if uh, somebody was in an effort to preserve our history, if you will, let's say for like um, an end times type thing, to try to keep a history, a some kind of a record, has anybody ever thought about putting together some kind of a list of concise works that kind of pretty much discusses these founding fathers and our history so that, you know, hey, this is uh, so we can tell future generations, you know, having a record, so to speak, you know, hey, well, Jeff, this is what really happened.
0: Jeff, thank you so much. And, you know, we've interviewed uh, William J. Federer many, many times on this station and on Crosstalk. And one of his, his works that is just masterful is America's God and Country Encyclopedia yes. of Quotations. And mm-hmm. and there you'll find references to God going to the presidents and statesmen and founding documents uh, pointing to that. But but the, he's got a library of books mm-hmm. uh, dealing with these issues and has been interviewed often
1: concerning them. Uh Bill Federer has done a wonderful job. David Barton has done a wonderful job. Uh, scholarly work, anything by Dr. Dan Dreisbach, as far as the the research and, and just the intent of what Thomas Jefferson was was writing about with his letter to the Danbury Baptist. There's a wealth of information out there. You want to make sure that, that you're going to reputable sources. The, the researchers who are going back to first source documentation. Dr. Catherine Millard is another, and, yes. and she's got some great
0: works. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, Malcolm, in Osprey, Florida, you're on the air.
3: Good afternoon. Congratulations that you're talking at last about The Naked Communist, a book that is now an American classic. 0.2% of all books that year made that level. This book was mandatory reading, uh, published 1958, from the congressional testimony in 1956 by Skousen. And uh, this book was, as I said before, an American classic and necessary, mandatory reading for the FBI and CIA from 1958 to 1972. In 1972, the House Un-American Committee was abandoned, but mainly by two people from uh, Michigan, and I'm also from Michigan. John Dingle and John Conyers, uh, both very active in the communist movement. They abandoned and discontinued the House Un-American Committee in August of 1972. Therefore, the communists have had free reign in America since that date. This book should be mandatory reading in all high schools in America, Mm. I'm trying desperately to get it into Hillsdale College. Mm-hmm. And I'm meeting with some resistance there, which means the communists have infiltrated that institution too.
1: Well, like, I, I don't know. If well, you know you I don't know, know about that. that but yet. what I would say is this: today, the truthful telling of our past is in, is truly in a moral freefall, and it's being rewritten. I want you to listen to this quote by Chief Justice Earl Warren. And if you know anything about Earl Warren. If you traveled anywhere in the South during the 1960s, there would be uh, billboards that said, Impeach Earl Warren. Time Magazine, 1954. I believe that no one can read the history of our country without realizing the good book and the spirit of the Savior have, from the beginning, been our guiding genius. Obviously, they're trying to rewrite our history, and they're trying to rewrite the history in their own image, because if you can destroy the past, then you control the future. And if you destroy the past and and take these men of stature out of young people's lives, then you can uh, reinsert new idols in their place.
0: Malcolm, thanks for the call today. You're welcome. Mary is calling from West Des Moines, Iowa. Mary, you're on the air. Yes, um, I'm glad they mentioned uh, the... um, make it communist. I was wondering if some organization like yours or other people that are always reporting these opposites, if it could just be printed on three or four sheets of paper and it could uh, what the communists their manifesto is and everything and what they plan to do and then a quote from Lenin or Marx that says, useful idiots. Mm-hmm. And then you can parallel it on the right with what has happened actually and then ask a question are you being a useful idiot if if so rethink and look at this information and save our country
3: or something like that and then it could be thrown from airplanes
1: well i think thank you mary i think what we want to do is we want to light a candle rather than curse the darkness and by lighting a candle it's being aware of what's going on in the culture I think that every Christian should be aware of the Communist Manifesto, the Humanist Manifestos 1 and 2, so that when we see these ideas being circulated in the public square, which another thing that they talked about was the the communists, the socialists, they want a naked public square in that they do not want any sort of religious um, references or anything like that in the public square. So we need to speak up and we need to be aware
0: thank you for the call. We're up against a break and uh, thank you, Mary. Our number to Crosstalk is 800-733-9829 800-733-9829 I mentioned Bill Federer before. Let me just mention his book, America's God and Country Encyclopedia of Quotations. We do have that available uh, through our ministry as well as a book on socialism in which he lists all the communist goals. That is there. And uh, you can reach out to our switchboard 800-729-9829 but our guest is also written a book. We'll tell you about that after the break in one minute.
4: For the worldview report, I'm Brandon House. Our website is worldviewreport.com. I'm not sure I ever thought I would see the day, but in late November, 2023, the former director of the National Security Agency, and he was also the director of the CIA at one time, General Michael Hayden retweeted a tweet and The picture was of a lady, probably in her 60s, holding a Bible, and then her handgun, and the American flag, stating, I am committed to the Bible, a biblical worldview. I believe in the Second Amendment, which comes from a biblical worldview, the right to defend oneself, and she had the flag. I'm patriotic. I believe in honoring those who have sacrificed for liberty and freedom. Well, the former NSA CIA director retweeted that and said when asked, with a picture next to a terrorist what's the difference he said no difference at all that's how they view us christians
0: what meaneth the stones our topic today on crosstalk dr tim schmig is with us today and uh, by the way he's written a book stories and
1: stones Our heritage of evidence uh, tim where can our listeners get a copy of the book it's available on amazon and they can just go right there, put my name, uh, Schmig, Tim Schmig, Stories in Stones, and they can pick it up there. Okay, S-C-H-M-I-G. Um, uh, yes, sir.
0: And uh, you'll find it uh, there, again, It's called Stories in Stones, Our Heritage of Evidence. Let's go right back to the phone lines. Uh, Keith is calling from Naper, Nebraska. Hi, Keith, you're on the air.
3: Yes, thanks for taking my call. I just, uh, did, did your guest, uh, did he ever uh, read any books or films seen by Christian J. Pinto? I'm sure that uh, he would disagree with some of your what you're saying about uh, Thomas Jefferson, because uh, uh, a lot of these uh, people that uh, founded our, our our nation were uh, were um, Freemasons, and uh, there's a lot of things that Thomas Jefferson would would have said and did that that uh, I think is that our nation
1: astray into, okay. into Freemasonry. Okay. Thank you for the comment, uh, Tim. Well, this is true, and a number of them had religious beliefs that we wouldn't agree with either, and yet we take a look at the government that they gave us, in spite of their flaws, mm-hmm. they still were able to give us, through common grace, the greatest, freest country in the world.
0: Yeah, and that's a, another whole issue on the Freemasonry and the, and the founders in that regard, but thank you for raising that issue here today. John in Los Lunas, New Mexico, you're on the air.
3: Hi, uh, God bless the USA. Um, yeah, with the, with the way that the, the Washington, D.C. is laid out, uh, due to the like the pagan of uh, of uh, Egypt uh, to resurrect Osiris into the president every year, and the fact that there's a pyramid in back of our dollar with the Eye of Nimrod right on top of it, man, I would say that it's it's been pretty far from God from from day one. But uh, thank you, Jesus Christ, to uh, whom you have revealed yourself to. Amen.
0: Okay, thank okay. you for your comment. Uh, and you know, uh, and I'll say this: the most important aspect is not who occupies the White House; it's who occupies your heart. Exactly, and uh, so critical in all of this. Um, uh, but uh, again, there's a whole history there as well, uh, and does not rest solely upon the founding of the United States. There, but uh, you're going to find uh, a number of things through the development of this nation that don't measure up to the truths of Scripture.
1: No, they don't. And you take a look at first, again First Corinthians chapter ten. When Paul recounts the history of Israel, they did some horrible things, mm-hmm. and God punished them for that. There's biographies of the life of David, incidents in David's life that um, you can't celebrate, and yet God, David said, God said, David is a man after my own heart. So we celebrate the good, and you know we acknowledge that there's flaws, but we don't, uh, we don't. Negate the whole person because of the flaw,
0: right? And again, we have the the greatest nation on earth. As far as it was, it was called the experiment, and and uh, you know, wasn't it John Adams who said that it was uh, made for religious and moral people, and mm-hmm. our constitution is not not going to be good for anything else other than that, right? And
1: and with a representative republic, it is good for moral people. You have mm-hmm. to be able to obey. The, the concepts and the principles right. of law. Mm-hmm. You cannot have anarchy. You you cannot have every man doing that, which is right in their own eyes. Right. A representative republic is obeying the law. Uh, Brian is calling from Hebron,
0: Kentucky. Brian, you're on the air.
3: Hi, good afternoon there, brothers. Uh, thank you, Jim, for having Dr. Tim on there, another guy that I'm going to have to start sharing on social media. I like to share everything about our founding fathers from either. Like you say, in William Feder Wall Builders has an enormous book of, of of everything from the Founding Fathers' original intent and original writings. And you start to hear that 29 of our 56 signers are a Declaration of Independence, were biblical scholars, theologians. And I, I just wanted to ask uh, your guest, Dr. Tim, there, what he knew and what he could tell our listeners about Dr. Benjamin Rush.
1: Okay, Dr. Benjamin Rush was the youngest signer of the Declaration of Independence. As a matter of fact, he was a good friend with Thomas Jefferson, and he would sign his letters to Jefferson, your compatriot of 1776. In his mind, the high watermark of his life was signing the Declaration of Independence. And too often we look at the the painting in the Capitol building and and we just think, oh, just a bunch of, you know, dead guys who have gone on before us. But they were people just like us. As a matter of fact, Benjamin Rush was very much interested in Richard Stockton's daughter, and he was not getting anywhere as far as um, her showing interest in him. And so one day he said, you know, I heard a message from John Witherspoon. And she said, John Witherspoon, another signer of the Declaration of Independence, is my favorite preacher. Because of that, Richard Stockton allows his daughter to marry Benjamin Rush. Uh, Benjamin Rush is a founder of the American Bible Society, Philadelphia Sunday School Movement. He does uh, Surgeon General of the Continental Army. Uh, Benjamin Rush is one of those that, uh, not so much a forgotten founder like Roger Sherman, but someone that that we could celebrate as well. Thank you for the call here.
0: Uh, We've got a caller from Milwaukee. Go ahead, caller, you're on the air.
3: Yes, I just have a question. Um, Since those that want to rewrite history... A lot of that have to do with um, taking down anyone that had anything to do with slavery through the years. Well, wouldn't that, if they want to rewrite history, wouldn't that exile slavery? I mean, wouldn't they want to rewrite history and that would include slavery? I mean, what would that do to their agenda then? I mean, since they want to attack everyone that had anything to do with the history of slavery in this
0: country. Okay,
1: thank you. Well, we are in a position where um, they've they've leveled everybody except themselves, and you know, we all know we all have flaws. We all have contradictions in our lives. We all look back at earlier times in our life, and we wish we would have done something different. And yet the reality of it is, you know, the poet has said, time is forever barred the way. We can't return to yesterday. Out of reach, beyond the blue, tomorrow waits in vain for you. So take today, enjoy its measure. Soon it will be yesterday's treasure. Thank you. Well, Grady in Monticello, you're on the air. Uh,
3: yeah, this is Randy. Lee. Uh, I understand everything you gentlemen have been talking about, but you are way above what has actually happened. In the last 60 years, the NEA has put together a school, public school curriculum which basically has made certain that 80% of the public school system's children graduate as dysfunctional semi Illiterate.
0: I'm going to have to
1: stop you there because we've only got a quarter of a minute left. I want you to have a response here, Tim. Well, there definitely is. We've gone from educating young people to indoctrinating them. And when you can indoctrinate them, you can get them to follow the herd, follow the crowd. And what we need today is teaching uh, the ability to think critically and to act biblically in our society. Thank you for your call, and we
0: apologize to others on hold. We have run out of time. Our guest today, Tim Schmig, who is uh, Director of Stories and Stones and Executive Director of Michigan Association of Christian Schools. If you want to correspond further with him, Tim Schmig at gmail.com. Tim Schmig, S C H M I G, at gmail.com. God bless you, folks. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Crosstalk via satellite and the Internet from BCY America